On the eve of our struggle for independence, a man who might have been one of the greatest among the founding fathers, Dr. Joseph Warren, president of the Massachusetts Congress, said to his fellow Americans, our country is in danger, but not to be despaired of. On you depend the fortunes of America. You are to decide the important question which, upon which rests the happiness and the liberty of millions yet unborn. Act worthy of yourselves. Well, I believe we, the Americans of today, are ready to act worthy of ourselves. Ready to do what must be done to ensure happiness and liberty for ourselves, our children, and our children's children. From time to time, we've been tempted to believe that society has become too complex to be managed by self-rule. That government by an elite group is superior to government for, by, and of the people. We are a nation that has a government, not the other way around. And this makes us special among the nations of the earth. Our government has no power except that granted it by the people. It is made up of men and women who raise our food, patrol our streets, man our mines and factories, teach our children, keep our homes, and heal us when we're sick. Professionals, industrialists, shopkeepers, clerks, cabbies, and truck drivers. They are, in short, we the people. Their patriotism is quiet but deep. Their values sustain our national life. With the idealism and fair play which are the core of our system and our strength, we can have a strong and prosperous America at peace with itself and the world. So with all the creative energy at our command, let us begin an era of national renewal. Let us renew our determination, our courage, and our strength. And let us renew our faith and our hope. It is time for us to realize that we're too great a nation to limit ourselves to small dreams. We will again be the exemplar of freedom and a beacon of hope for those who do not now have freedom. We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. look for a 4th of July video, and every year I resettle on that one. Such a great speech from Ronald Reagan, and uh, we are privileged to, to be born into this nation and this place, or, or uh, as Gerardo, who got to come to this nation, we're privileged not only to have him here, but also have him be a part. Uh, so we are excited to be here tonight, and wow, I'm actually, you know, Super Bowl Sunday and VBS Sunday is like a real, uh, who's all going to come to church tonight? Uh, so, uh, and it was a privilege to have you kids come back from VBS Sunday for, uh, with the water slide and everything. So I'm going to do a couple announcements and then we'll have the VBS video. So we are in Luke chapter six and let me go ahead and pray. And then we're going to get into the word of God tonight. Heavenly father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. And we ask Lord now for you to speak to us. Uh, may we learn from you and understand you and Lord, uh, May we be more and more like you as today in our text. 
we learn that no no disciple is above his master, but becomes like his master. And <clears throat> Lord, we want to be like you. So teach us now. Bless this word and, and help us to take it with us and, and be doers of the word and not merely hearers only. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to back up a little bit from where we left off last week uh, because I, I kind of briefly like ran through it because we were running out of time last week. And uh, <clears throat> since I didn't even get close to finishing the chapter, I'm just going to back up. But where we're at, we're in Luke chapter 6, and it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus had the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, and then in Luke, we get what's called the Sermon on the Plain. And the Sermon on the Plain has a lot of similar teachings to the Sermon on the Mount. There's very much, very similar. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, we read that Jesus went with his disciples up on a mountainside and began to teach them, and he started with the Beatitudes. And in Luke chapter 6, we, we learn that Jesus taught the multitude on a flat area on the plain, and so that's why we call it the Sermon on the Plain. But where we're picking up is really about the kingdom of God, what it is to be a member in the kingdom of God. See, you and I, when we gave our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and became born again in him, we also became citizens of heaven and children of God. And with that, there is, uh, there is an expectation of how we are as citizens of heaven. And that's really what this sermon is teaching is what is a citizen of heaven? What, is, what does that person look like now that they've been born again in Christ? Now, don't mistake it for legalism or working your way to keep your citizenship. That is a totally wrong idea. Jesus has purchased us on that cross. He's done the work, and as a result, now we live for him. And so that's where we're picking up here in Luke chapter 6. i got to use my readers tonight because it uh, turns out Flaming Hot Cheetos when rubbing in your eye is not a good thing. So <laughs> I learned that today at the VBS barbecue. So I'm going to look like an old person for part of this, but, hey, it's, that's the reality. So here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, starting there. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And I'm going to pause there for a moment. So when, as we get into this section about loving enemies, there's a couple of things. One, I, I think we can all agree this is a hard teaching. And uh, I, I think a lot of times we're kind of like, well, maybe there's uh, some loophole we don't understand because it sounds really hard to live this way. And guess what? It is really hard to live this way. Uh, but this is also God's way. Now, there are limits on these things, and that limit is love. So when we consider how we are to do this, we want to make sure it's in accordance with love. Remember when Jesus was asked about, uh, about what is the greatest commandment, he summed up the two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And so as we, we get into this and we see love your enemies, the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus recognizes we have enemies. He doesn't say, oh, make your enemy your friend. He says, love your enemy. 
That, 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 that by default, just telling you that means that that person is not a friend. They're not somebody that you want to go hang out with. They're not somebody you want to be around. And a lot of times I think Christians approach this with the idea that, okay, I'm going to do love. I'm going to love that person, but in turn, they're going to change. And that's not always the case at all. And, and so Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, you just need to spend more time with the enemy, then get to know them a little bit better, then they'll cease being an enemy. No, he said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And this is one of the difference of a kingdom citizen versus a, a, a citizen of the world. The citizen of the world says, okay, I avoid you. I stay away from you. I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. Where a kingdom citizen, as they model their life after the Lord Jesus Christ, they recognize that God loved me. The Bible says while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And, and that's an important idea because this was God's view and God's love. And so when he says to love your enemies, uh, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes Away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. As Jesus speaks about striking or turning the other cheek, strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. This isn't speaking about someone punching you in the face. This is speaking about uh, an insult to somebody. It would be the same as like, you know, uh, somebody smacking somebody with a, a glove. It's a slap. That's the idea of this. And so if someone tries to pick a fight with you, don't do it. If someone tries to insult you, allow them to insult you. Now, consider Christ. Whenever we deal with these types of people, where our mind needs to go is consider Jesus. Because Jesus knows what it means to be insulted throughout his ministry. He was blasphemed. He was insulted. They tried to kill him on multiple occasions. But we know that no one takes his life, as as Jesus said. But he lays it down willingly. It wasn't until the point that he was ready to die that he laid down his life. And with that, he was delivered into the hands of sinners or sinful men, as the scriptures tell us, that he was crucified and on the third day he rose from the dead. Jesus understands every aspect of being insulted, being abused. He understands that. And we as his disciples need to understand that we're going to deal with it too. Now, this isn't saying you you can't have self-defense. It's not saying that if somebody's trying to trying to hurt you or your family, then you should just be like, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is, so let's just love them in return. That's not at all how to apply this verse. It's not encouraging pacifism. It's encouraging kingdom citizenship, meaning that we're not looking to pay back evil for evil. And it's wrong to think that, uh, start applying this in such a way that, that no, you know, you can't go to war can't do anything like that. I, I love that scene in, in the movie Black Hawk Down. I, I, I watched it over Memorial Day weekend, and, and uh, the, two of the guys are set up on, on a, uh, a corner to kind of protect the area, and, and all of a sudden there's some bullets whizzing by their head, and, and one of the rangers says, they're shooting at us. The other ranger says, well, shoot back. You know, <laughs> they're meaning to kill us. Well, shoot back. You know, that, that would be an instant where, where the Christian is well within the means to, to defend. And uh, that's important. This is also not talking about governments. Um, God never expects governments to just turn the other cheek or, or for us to, 
say, oh, a murderer, if someone murders somebody, they should just be set free. Oh, you know, it's no big deal. You didn't mean it. Uh, no, God has given governments authority, and he's given uh, the authority and the responsibility to keep peace and also uh, deal uh, with discipline or even uh, wield the sword, meaning capital punishment. So it says, give to anyone, uh, do, if someone tries to take your, your cloak, give them your tunic as well. And the idea here is like, if he tries to take your shirt, uh, give him also your undershirt. That, there's the idea. And the point is that we shouldn't seek revenge, but we remain exposed and be willing to take even more risks. That's, that's the kingdom way. That, we, that means that oftentimes we are going to expose ourselves for that law of love, to love others. We're going to expose ourselves to insult because we choose to love. And it's okay because we know that we're kingdom citizens and we are, our reward is great. Now, as soon as we start to think, I can't do this. How, this is too much. How can I endure with these people? Listen, the Bible's really clear that he who began a good work in you will finish it to the day of completion and that you can do all things through Jesus Christ. And that's important that we, we, we recognize that, Lord, uh, I need your help. In this area, I need the strength. Lord, I know you're teaching me patience, but Lord, I, I need you to, to intervene in my life and in my heart. I need to love this person, and they're unlovable. And you know that, Lord, so teach me. <clears throat> I, uh, I read a Chinese proverb, and it says that if thine enemy wrong thee, buy each of his children a drum. And if you have children, you understand this. <laughs> like I always kind of a joke with my wife. It's like, well, how much do we like these people? Let's get them a really loud toy, right? So I guess in America, you could say that uh, if your enemy wrongs these, buy each of their children a whistle, right? It's not really loving the person. It's really actually more vengeance. And, and that's the opposite idea of what it means to, to love those uh, who, and bless those who abuse you. Um, and so, so... The idea here is that we forgo the right of striking back. Uh, we, rever- we reject the urge to repay gossip with gossip and a bad turn with a worse turn. It means replacing the feeling of resentment and anger with goodwill, a love which seeks the other's welfare, not harm. It also means forgiving person, uh, forgiving a person and take the concrete steps to restore good relationships, if possible. Going the, the second mile, so to speak, not just, not just uh, the first. When we're attacked or abused, it's not easy, uh, especially not the first mile, but we can do it in the Lord's strength, and we can yield our rights to the Lord. And th- that's really what all this is coming down to. It's saying, Lord... I'm not going to defend me. I'm not going to say, well, I have a right. I'm going to yield my rights to you, Lord, so that I can uh, reflect your kingdom in my life. And so, so we read in verse 31, uh, oh, sorry, verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that uh, others would do to you, do so to them. 
And uh, the idea here of give to everyone who begs from you. Now, the, there's some common sense that comes with this. And this is the problem when someone reads the scriptures and they, they take this overly literal sense. It's, the idea is like, well, you know, this drug addict is asking me for money. I better give it to them. Well, that's, doesn't, that's, that rejects that law of love, that limit of love that, that you, would, you would recognize that this person is going to go do harm to themselves with this. And, and if I give this money, that's not loving them. That's actually uh, enabling them to harm themselves. And, and that's the idea where we use some common sense in the kingdom where we see, say that, okay, well, you know, you can give to somebody who's begging. I, I know my, my wife uh, felt really bad for this man outside of Albertsons. He was begging and she just felt really terrible. And I said, well, well, she was on the phone with me. I said, well, go in and offer to buy him a sandwich. Um, but he might reject that. So just ask him. So she, she's like, okay. And so she, she asked him, hey, would you like a sandwich? He's like, yeah, I'd like a sandwich. Uh, and so she goes in, gets him a sandwich. She comes back out. She's like, I don't like mustard. I don't want mustard. Why, why would you do this? So she goes back in. I'm sorry, can, can I get a sandwich without mustard? And, and anyway, the whole experience ended in her just being like uh, the guy not being very thankful and stuff. And, but, but the idea is to respond in love, not to say, well, you ungrateful, you know, whatever the case is. You just respond in love. I remember when we did a homeless breakfast with the youth group, we would uh, try our best to do the best homeless breakfast we could down in Santa Ana Civic Center. We would uh, pre the night before, we'd make bacon and biscuits, and, and so when we got there, we'd do biscuits and gravy and eggs and all these things, but, but figuring out how to do coffee was really difficult uh, for, for in a camp-style setup for that many people, and so we had orange juice and everything, and, and uh, this was like our first homeless breakfast that we did with the youth group, and uh, so the people are going through the line, and not one, but a few said, there's no coffee? How come there's no coffee? What? I can't believe you would serve us breakfast without coffee. You probably actually remember that, Wyatt. You were probably in the youth group at the time. And it was just like, uh, just take this. I'm sorry. I like, you know, I don't know. But it didn't stop us from showing love and, and serving in that way. And that's, that's the idea here. And now look at verse 30, 31 as it says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And that there's the... There is the law of reaping and sowing. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Galatians 6, 7 says. Uh, you can pull up Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And uh, we're going to see this come up multiple times in this, in this passage tonight. But that idea is that the Lord... and the, the, Reject the idea of karma. I know it kind of sounds like the idea of karma, uh, but that is a different idea altogether. This is an idea of that God has put forward a law here in the universe, and it's and it's a law in the fact that that as we want to be treated, so we should treat others. Uh, And and it makes it. This is what it looks like in the church when someone's coming in saying, "Man, uh, nobody wants to have a relationship with me. Nobody." wants to take time for me. I'm, I'm left all alone. And you ask the question, well, have you tried to reach out to anyone else to have a relationship with them? No, but nobody, everybody's ignored me. 
well, maybe you should try first to do that to others, and you'll see that reciprocated. Uh, Oftentimes, we only view things from our perspective, and sadly to say, a lot of times, we are selfish people. And we go, well, I don't like this person, and we can complain about others. We can complain about something they're doing, something we don't like, and then we find ourselves doing what? We're doing the very same thing. Just, just, it, it might be just applied a little bit differently, but often, often our attitudes are the very same. And so Jesus says, look, this is what you're to do. You're, you're to do uh, to others what, what they, you'd want done to you. So moving on to verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. And so Jesus begins to unpack this a little bit more with this concept of, listen, you can go around loving those who love you and doing kind things to, to, to those who love you and big deal. That's, that's what sinners do. That, that doesn't set you apart as a kingdom citizen because people love people who love them back. People do kind things to, to, to people who do kind things to them. Uh, people lend to people that they expect to receive back from. Uh, sinners don't lend to people that they expect nothing in return from. Uh, you, you wouldn't expect somebody just to never pay you back or forgive a debt or never to receive interest. And so Jesus is saying that as a kingdom citizen, we're different. And he summarizes it there at the end from verse 35 to 36 where he says, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You know, I've over the years in church, I've spoken with people that have had financial difficulty or financial problems, and they've approached me, they've approached the church asking for a loan. And we say, no, we don't, we don't loan money in the church. Uh, because I'll tell you this, if we're going to help somebody out who's already in financial trouble, chances are you're never going to get it back. And what they really need probably is some, just some financial help. Maybe they need the groceries for that month. They need uh, some bills paid for that month. They need a medical bill paid or, or a, uh, a rent payment or something of that sort. And then you can actually help them. And, of course, uh, we have our deacons, and they sit down usually with the individual. They meet with them. They try to assess the whole situation, figure out, uh, what, what they really need help with and how we can help as a church. But we never expect repayment or interest back. And we make that really clear that we don't loan money because uh, then all of a sudden we become a bank and that's not the role of the church. The role of the church is to, 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 uh, to disciple and make disciples. And, and so we recognize that there are people that need help in times and we, we love to help. And I'll tell you, our deacon fund, 
uh, we call it our deacon fund. You, you, when you give online, you can see little categories. There's general fund, honor his house. Honor his house goes for like the building and, and you know, things that we do structurally to repair and windows. We just got new windows on the, in one of the rooms on the south side of the church. They're really nice. Then we have our, our deacon fund or benevolence fund. And that fund we use to help those in need, help those that, that need groceries, that they need rent, they need a, they had a, disaster of some sort in their lives, and, and we, we, that's the fund we use for that. And it's a privilege to do that for people. I often think, too, that that's one of the reasons why our government has given us nonprofit status is we get to help people with that which we receive. And so that's a real blessing. And so, so as, as a Christian goes outside of the church, uh, if we're going to give to somebody or loan we should make loans that we don't necessarily expect to return, get returned. So that means we're going to think about the loan, right? We, we don't make a loan to somebody knowing that, well, if I don't get this money back, I won't be able to feed my family, right? That, that, that's breaking that law of love because I'm, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to love my, I'm going to hate my family to, to, to give you this funds, right? So there's some uh, practical common sense aspect to this. But if you do, Lynn, you shouldn't expect necessarily to get it back. So that might change how much you can afford to lend to someone. But notice that Jesus says, why are you doing this? He says, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. How beautiful that is. That, and, and we can look at God and we can see how God has treated us. And we can know, yeah, God was kind with me. God was merciful to me. And you might say, well, I basically am a good person. Well, basically a good person is not a good person. Uh, we, we know that the Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. We, we know that it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. And if you really want to understand how serious God is about sin, just go to Revelation chapter 20 and read about the great white throne judgment. Maybe it's 21. Uh, and read about the great white throne judgment. And it's an awful and awesome moment in human history where it says death and Hades gave up their dead. Earth and sky fled now think about that for a moment as everyone is, is put before the judgment throne of God and earth and sky fled, where does man dwell? Under the sky and on the earth. And when earth and sky flees away from God, that means there's no place to hide. And it says great and small. That means people who are wealthy, rich, people who are poor, all those who are sinners are being put forth into the great white throne judgment. And only those whose names are found written in the book of life are those who avoid that judgment. Only those in Jesus Christ. Because he alone is the righteous one. And by his stripes, we've been healed. Uh, We've been made righteous by Jesus Christ. God is serious about sin. And so when when we recognize that, that... that God is so serious about sin, we can say that, boy, the Most High has been merciful to me. God has been uh, kind to me, the ungrateful and the evil. 
God has shown me this mercy. And so in turn, I can do this. I can show this to others, this kind of mercy and, um, and this love and kindness. And, uh, and it, not only can you show this outside the church, but you can also show it inside the church. And it's interesting because I think when we come to church, we kind of expect everyone to be this way. And then we find out that they're not. And then we get upset, right? That person stepped on my toes in broad daylight, and I'm upset about it, right? Or that person was rude to me. They were unkind to me. They were this. Listen, Romans 15, bear with one another. That's, you got to bear with one another. You got to love each other. You've got to recognize that, that even in church, there are those who are immature. There are those who are ungrateful. There are those who are evil. But we are to be merciful even as our Father is merciful, and show mo- and so model kingdom citizenship to others. So let's go on to verse 37, the most abused verse in the whole world. This one even, I, this one verse is known more than, than John 3.16. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And, uh, of course, again, uh, just keep in mind that passage in Galatians about that for whatever one sows, that you will also reap. We're we're continuing this idea here. But we hear this all the time. Hey, don't judge. Judge not, lest you be judged. And this verse is abused constantly. And listen... Later on in the passage, Jesus is going to talk about knowing a tree by its fruit. That that means that I'm going to judge this is a fig tree. I'm going to judge this is an orange tree. In John, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus actually says, uh, don't judge like everyone else, but judge righteously. Boy, I forgot to make that reference. Oh, sorry about that. I was going to give you that reference in John, but... I'll have to relook that up later. There it is. Whoa. John 7, 20. Wait, did I, did I give it to you earlier? Somehow I like deleted it. I don't know what I did. Anyway, so do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And actually, the word here is also right, used as righteousness. So, so the idea here is Jesus is saying, don't make these judged based on your own judgments, based on your own presuppositions. We do that all the time, don't we? You know, we, we get around people and we're like, yeah, I don't like them. Yeah, I, I, I think I, did I tell, tell you guys about when I went to that conference for the, for, with Jack Hibbs for the Comeback California? Did, did I say that story in this service? I, I'm not sure what service I said it. But anyway, I go into the conference as churches from all over the state of California last month. And uh, I got in there a little bit late, and worship is happening. And uh, I, I walk in, I'm looking around, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to sit. But I kind of see worship happening. I'm like, whoa, they're flag twirlers for sure. They're too charismatic. They're too Presbyterian. Ah, Calvary Chapel, there we go. <laughs> so... <laughs> so, so <laughs> I was totally making sure, but but in all honestly, uh, all their movements. If I just put a flag in their hands, it would be perfect, right? No. So, but but the whole idea is we look at people and we make 
presuppositions about those individuals or those people, and we make decisions. We decide if we're going to like them or not. And, and Jesus is telling us in John, do not judge by appearances, ju- but judge with righteous judgment or right judgment in the ESV. And so, so Jesus isn't saying that you can never judge at all. And the idea here of, of Luke chapter 6, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. The idea here is not being a hypocrite. Not making judgments about people on things that are unsubstantiated. It's not saying that we can't judge moral failing or moral sin. We, we, We can say that's sinful. That's evil. That action is evil. But we're not condemning people to hell. We don't have that right to go around saying, yep, you're condemned to hell. No chance for you, buddy. Uh, or, or we don't, as believers, we don't say go to hell, right? That, that, that is a, a horrible judgment, and it's putting ourselves in the position of God. And so, so we're not to judge in that, in that aspect or condemn others. Uh, forgive, and instead we're supposed to forgive and we'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Now notice here he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And this is awesome because what Jesus is telling us is the more you love others, God is just going to repay. He's going to repay much greater than you could ever ever even imagine. When, when, when we forgive others, God is going to measure back. You cannot outgive God. God. You can't ever say, well, God, I'm, 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 I might even be better than Jesus. You can't do it. I know, I just said it, and you felt like, that's blasphemous, right? So, but the, the idea here is that you can't outgive God, and, and whatever you do, God is going to return to you and reward you as his child. Now, I, I read a story about this small-town baker who bought his uh, butter from a local farmer, and one day he weighed the butter, and he kind of concluded that the farmer had been reducing the amount in the packages, but charging the same. So he was obviously infuriated, and the baker uh, accused the farmer of fraud. And it went all the way to the court, and in the court, the judge asked the farmer, do you have measuring weights? And the farmer replied, no, sir. Well, the judge asked, well, how then do you manage to weigh the butter that you sell? And the farmer answered, when the baker began buying his butter from me, I thought I'd better get my bread from him, and I've been using his one-pound loaf as the weight for the butter I sell. If the weight of the butter is wrong, he has only himself to blame. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, uh, we, we tell our kids, if, if you're pointing a finger at somebody else, you got a, a thumb pointing at heaven and three fingers pointing back at you, and that's oftentimes when we get really upset at others for something they're doing. We, we make quick judgments and we realize we're doing the very same thing. And uh, so Jesus answers how we deal with this. Look at verse 39. And I love this. Jesus goes into this awesome joke. Now, if we saw this in real life, it would be tragic. But because it's a parable, it's funny, okay? So, <laughs> so we're not making fun of blind people in real life. Verse 39. <laughs> I just sound awful tonight. He also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? All right, when you imagine that, that is hilarious, right? Uh, 
It's like, that doesn't even make sense. That person's blind, and they're leading that blind person around. How, this is crazy. But Jesus says they're both going to fall into a pit. Verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so as Jesus confronts this idea of the blind leading the blind, then he brings it to the idea of a teacher. No, no disciples above his teacher. You're going to be like your teacher. That's what Jesus is saying. So who are you listening to? Uh, are, you, are you learning from Jesus? Or are you looking for others? And remember, the people that are listening to Jesus, it, it, at this point in time, everybody would try to find somebody to follow. They wanted to be discipled by some teacher, some rabbi. That, that was an important aspect of culture and life. And Jesus here is confronting some of these ideas and saying, you're going to be like your master. And, and, and Christians, I hope you spend a lot more time with Jesus than you do with the world. Because no disciple is above his master. He's going to be like his master. If you spend more time uh, in the world and learning from the world than you do from Christ, you're going to look like the world. That's the way that goes. If you spend more time with Christ, you're going to look more like Christ. And so he moves on to speak about this idea, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? We're really good at finding the problem with other people. We hate mirrors, though, don't we? Uh, I always tell husbands and wives, your, your spouse is a mirror to you. That means when you get angry at your spouse, usually <laughs> there's some stuff going on in you that's part of the problem. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes, because what do we do when we're in a fight with our spouse? Well, you made me get angry, right? We try to blame them for the way we act, right? Uh, and, and so Jesus here points out this idea of the speck in your own eye. Now he calls you, he says, you hypocrite. Now what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. A hypocrite is not someone who doesn't meet a certain standard. Okay, so oftentimes with the judge not, lest ye be judged, the world goes, oh boy, those Christians, they are hypocrites. They they say love people, but there they are condemning condemning these these things in the world, the, the, uh, whatever the Dodgers did, that craziness, awful, evil. Um, Those Christians, you know, they're not really showing love. No, we're calling out moral evil. Or, or, or someone says, you're being a hypocrite because you're not loving me to that standard. Or maybe we, we, we fell. Maybe we stumbled. Maybe the anger got the best of us. That's not being a hypocrite. That's just not meeting the standard to which you're trying to meet. Being a hypocrite is saying one thing, telling everybody they, they've got to get to a standard, and then you yourself are not there, right? A hypocrite is, is uh, pastors and preachers who preach one thing, but they don't live it out. Right? That's being a hypocrite. A hypocrite is playing a part but not really having any type of integrity that's followed with it. That's being a hypocrite. And so Jesus is saying that when, when you see this speck in your brother's eye, when they've got something in their eye and you can see that speck, 
But how hypocritical is it when you've got this giant log in your own eye? Now, Jesus isn't saying don't help the person remove the speck. I mean, look at it. It says, he says, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Jesus isn't saying that your brother doesn't need that speck removed from his eye. Just saying deal with yourself first. So as Christians, as kingdom citizens, when we're dealing with confrontation, especially within the church, it starts with prayer and examination. It starts with search me and know me, God. You know my way. Teach me. Show me my sin. I'll give you a good example of this. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had, right before chapter 12, David had had an affair with Bathsheba. And uh, we, we all are familiar with the uh, David and Bathsheba affair. And Bathsheba got pregnant and David decides to cover up for it. And he, he tries first having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, come home from war and sleep with his wife and maybe cover it up that way. But Uriah is such a godly, righteous man, wouldn't even, while his men were out in the field, he chose to sleep on the porch of his house, even though David tried to get Uriah drunk. So he would go in and have, have, have relations with Bathsheba. Well, then, then that didn't work. So the next day, David sends Uriah back to the front lines with orders that he doesn't know about, but are given that he should be put in the very front line where the battle is the hottest, that he might be killed. So Uriah is murdered. And then David takes Bathsheba for his own wife into his own house. Well, God is angry about this. And then we read Nathan the prophet comes to David and he, he tells David a story about a man, two, two men. And, and one man had a, a great flock or herd. The other man had these two little, this one little ewe lamb, and it was all he had. And the wealthy man came and he took from the, 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 the poor man his own little ewe lamb. And David is so outraged by this whole thing, he, David basically says, okay, verse 5, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Now, David is able to see the speck in this story, the speck in the eye. Verse 6, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And he continues to give David the consequences for his sin. That is hypocrisy. When David had done all this and then he's outraged about someone else, that's a log in David's eye. There's a perfect example of that story, 2 Samuel 12. And, and Jesus is telling us, hey, don't try to go help your brother with the speck when you've got this log. Now, it doesn't say don't ever help your brother. If we see a speck, we should help our brother. Because certainly they don't want to walk around with a speck in their eye all their life. But you got to deal with you first. You got to bring yourself before God first and deal with you. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes 
picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That, uh, there you go. How do we find fruit? How do we speak? You know, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's like enough. So let's go to verse 46. We can, uh, we can this is so plain. I, I always, uh, there's another passage that in Matthew says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's very sim- similar to here in Luke. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And we can tell when people are, uh, have a relationship with Christ versus a relationship with the world. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? That's a good question. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? How do we call Jesus Lord if we don't, or if we're disobedient? Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it. But because it had been well built, <clears throat> but, but sorry, I skipped over, and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The question, as Jesus asks, puts it forward to those who are listening, is why do you call me Lord and do not do what I tell you? And then he, he illustrates that with a parable. What kind of a house do you want to have? Do you want to have a house built on sand, on a, uh, on a shaky foundation? Or do you want to have a house built on a rock that can withstand the trials, the turbulence, the turmoil of life? What kind of a house do you want in your life? See, the houses that are built uh, in disobedience to the Lord are houses that will always fall. They won't stand the test of, of any storm, any trial, uh, they, they can't stand up to, to the weather of life, so to speak. But those who are obedient to the Lord, those who are disciples of the Lord and do what he says, their house can stand. You can deal with the turmoils and the trials of life. You can deal with the, the wind that presses against, the sea that beats against. You can stand because you are a disciple of Christ. And that's the question that you get left with tonight. What kind of a house do you want to build? And this is a choice each and every believer gets to make. And maybe it's a point in time in which you have to ask your, you have to repent and ask for forgiveness for the way you've been building your house. Maybe lately you haven't been doing such a good job. And you've been building in disobedience rather than obedience. All right, with that said, we are done with chapter 6. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. And we'll have the worship team come back up. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful teaching. And uh, Lord, I, every time I read this sermon, I, I'm convicted. Lord, I want to love more. I want to reflect you more. I want to look more like you. And so, Lord, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, you've said that you're faithful to finish the work that you've begun in our lives. And I give you all the praise for that. Lord, complete in me the work that you've started. Here I am. Use me, Lord. Teach me. 
may I reflect you. And Lord, I want my house to be a house built in obedience. So Lord God, we give ourselves over to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the example that you set for us. Not an example from a philosophical view, but an example out of experience and living among us. So we thank you, Lord Jesus. Pray you bless this time now as we close in worship. May you be honored through our worship and our song. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you see anyone with this style shirt on, that means if they're an adult, they were helping out with VBS. Maybe you can give them a thank you. And then I want to draw your attention to one other friend in the back of the church. Kaylee, can you raise your hand? Kaylee got baptized today. So, yeah, she got baptized this morning. Uh, So you can uh, talk to her about that. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.